Welcome to the Coaching DNA Podcast. I'm your host, Travis Wyckoff. I'm also the founder of Kingdom Coaching, my consulting business in which I coach leaders. My guest this week is Chris Pollard. Chris is the baseball coach at Duke University. During part one of my conversation with Chris, we discuss why he has had so much success, the need to adapt and evolve, defining and building culture, and much, much more. As you will hear, Chris is super sharp and has had uh, big-time success everywhere he has been. So without further ado, my conversation with Chris Pollard. Chris, thanks. Uh, yeah, thanks again for taking taking time this morning. I'd love for you to walk us through your journey from high school to present day. Sure. Yeah, graduated from Virginia Episcopal School in Lynchburg, Virginia in 1992. Um, I had committed to play baseball at Davidson College uh, really late, spring of my senior year. You know, uh, back then there was no early recruitment and early commitment. Uh, I can vividly remember uh, getting loose in the bullpen before the game started in the spring of my senior year and kind of looking over my shoulder to see what which college coaches might be in attendance that day because I was still looking for a home. But um uh, landed at Davidson College in the fall of 1992 and, and, and had a four-year career at Davidson as a right-handed pitcher and uh, in the Southern Conference. Uh, was a tremendous experience, uh, great, great relationships, great memories. I met my wife while I was at Davidson. She's a Davidson grad also. Uh, Dick Cook, who I played for there at Davidson, uh, was and still is a mentor for me. Uh, I really wanted to keep playing after college, but uh, I was an undersized right-hander that threw about 84, 85 miles an hour. So those guys don't go high in the draft. And and I had to take the independent league route to professional baseball. So I played a, a season of independent league baseball with the hopes of being able to eventually hook on with an affiliate. After that first season of professional baseball, I went back to Davidson as uh, kind of two part. One, I was going to help out as an assistant, uh, and, and two, I, you know, I was going to kind of train and get ready for spring training of the following year. And quite candidly, when when really I, I didn't get any calls or invites to spring training, I began to realize that if I wanted to stay in the game of baseball, my future might be in coaching, not in playing. And it was at that point that sort of a volunteer role at Davidson sort of morphed into a, a paid position. Now, now back then, we're talking 1996, 1997, um, really all assistants in college baseball were, 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 were part-time. And, and so it was full-time work and part-time pay. But I was there as an assistant at Davidson for three years until 1999. And, and then um, back then, you used to get the NCAA uh, – magazine and and, and uh, picked up the NCAA magazine one day I was sitting in the office and saw an advertisement that that Pfeiffer University was looking for a, a head coach and I just said to coach Cook I said what do you think and he said well it never hurts to throw your name in the hat and um, a couple of weeks later I'd interviewed and, and and here I was moving into Meisenheimer North Carolina so I coached at Pfeiffer for five years um Got married during that time. Um, eventually, my my last year and a half there at Pfeiffer also became the athletics director. Hmm. So essentially, at about twenty seven years old, I was a I, I was a head baseball coach and athletics director at a Division two 
uh, athletics department. And great learning experience, made a ton of mistakes. I always joke around with our young coaches. I, I say, um, if if the internet and 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 iPhones had been around back then, maybe I, I wouldn't have been able to keep coaching because you could get away with a lot more mistakes then than you can now. Um, in the uh, in the summer of 2004, I was offered the job at Appalachian State University, so I left Pfeiffer. Uh, and, and became the head baseball coach at Appalachian State. And that started an, an eight-year run there from 2004 to 2012. And, and my family, we have a lot of great memories from our time in Boone. Both of my sons were born while we were uh, living in Boone. And, you know, if you ask my boys, they still probably call Boone home. Uh, and um, in 2012, we had a great run. We won a Southern Conference championship and advanced to the NCAA tournament for uh, for the first time in about 30-plus uh, years. And and then that that summer, uh, the opportunity opened up to come to Duke. And I've uh, been here at Duke now for 12 years. This, this, this season, this 2024 season, will be my 12th season coaching baseball at Duke. Uh, it's been a lot of fun. Uh, everywhere I've been, made a ton of mistakes along the way. but tried to try to learn from those mis- mistakes and not repeat too many of them um and we've been really fortunate to uh to have a a, a really good run of success over our last seven years here too love it thanks for walking us through that um talk about dick cook would you would you learn from him what made him so successful well the most important thing that we all learn from coach cook and I say we I mean all the all of us the guys I played with including myself, um, he was such a great role model in how to balance family and coaching. And of all the things, I learned a ton of baseball from Coach Cook. I learned a lot about how to interact with people and how to treat people and how to treat people in a pressure and environment. But the most important thing I learned from Coach was that if you're going to be a coach and all the hours and the time demands that come along with coaching – you need to learn how to balance having your family be involved in that. And, uh, you know, it, it really made an impression on me. I was a young player there as a freshman and sophomore. And, you know, his his daughters would be running around the field and they would run out on the field as soon as practice was over with and jump on the tractor and help him drag the field. And, you know, just he he, he immersed his family in the program and 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 in coaching, I've tried to do the same thing as I've watched my two sons grow up. And um yeah, I know I know I know the challenges of just the the time constraints and travel. I just it's a it's a demanding job. How do you yeah, how are you doing at that balancing the family and job? Yeah, I I tell our young coaches and 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 we're in an interesting spot right now in our program. Because we've got uh, four young assistants right now, about to have five. Uh, we're adding a, a fifth, a player development coach in January. And none of those guys have children. And, you know, a couple of them are married and a and, uh, couple of them are, are close, but uh, none of them have kids yet. And, and you know, I want to encourage guys that that work-family balance is, is critical and the thing that I think is so important to remember is like you're always fighting to maintain balance. Like and 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 so even after doing it for all these years, I've been a head 
I've been in college baseball for 30 years. I've been a head coach for 25 years. Like that challenge exists every single day. And so, you know, just working to try to keep that balance. And and I always tell our coaches, and I hope I live this, like if you're going to get it wrong, like if you're going to get it wrong on one side or the other, like make sure you spend too much time with your family, not too much time in the office. Yeah. You know, it, it, you know, if 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 you fail as a baseball coach, well then so be it. We, you can go do something else for uh to make a living. But you don't ever want to put yourself in a position where you feel like because of coaching you you failed as a as a as a family person. Totally. It sounds like uh, Coach Cook integrated his family within the program. Have you been able to do that? Yeah, I really tried it again. He was a great role model for that. So really early on at Appalachian, my kids were really young, but man, those guys would hop on the bus with the team and they would travel to away games. You know, they would be in the dugout. One of the biggest thrills for me, one of the absolute biggest thrills for me in my entire life, not just my coaching career, has been um, the moments that my two sons were in the dugout bat-boying with the team. And, and, Honestly, it took some it it, it it took some encouragement from my wife. You know, uh, I, I didn't know if that would work well. I didn't know if I could be a dad and manage my son being a bad boy and still coach a game at the same time. And so I was a little bit resistant to that. She said, no, it'll be fine. You need to do this. And honestly, it's one of the best things ever. Um, my oldest, Thomas, got a chance to be a, a, a part of a couple of our NCAA tournament runs, our super regional runs in 2018 and 2019. He was in the dugout every step of the way. And and then COVID hit, and there was a couple years there where neither one of those guys could be in the dugout. And then last year, my youngest son, he joined us for the NCAA tournament run and was a part of it. And those are memories that I won't ever forget. That's cool. I love that. What you've you've had a ton of success. I mean, just just looking at your records, it's been it's really impressive. What what are your strengths? What are the giftings that you have that have allowed you to have success? Well, I I I I was really blessed to have um great family leadership. And and I I I I tell people, you know, I, I had great role models for what work ethic is supposed to look like. Uh, I had two, two, two grandfathers that were, were both married over 60 years mm. and, uh, and, and were, were blue po- blue collar lunch pail kind of guys. And, and my dad was the same way. He and my mom are, are, are about to celebrate 50 years of marriage. And I just, I grew up with, with looking at three guys that just showed you how to work. And so I, I, I do, um, believe that, uh, that was passed on to me, and 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 I try to I try to live that. I I, I try to have that same type of blue collar approach in, in everything that I do. Um, but in addition to that, I, I think that leadership is about um, it, it's about serving others, and and so we talk a lot in our program about servant leadership, and I also believe very strongly that if you're going to develop close relationships, you have to be willing to be vulnerable with people. And so we talk a lot about vulnerability-based trust. And so I try to show our guys that I'm going to work really hard. I'm not going to ask them to do anything that I wouldn't do myself, uh, that I'm going to be here for them. You know, the old expression, I'm going to have their back. Mm. And then most importantly, probably that I'm going to be real with them. I'm going to tell them when I make mistakes, 
Uh, I'm going to own those mistakes. I'm going to, I'm going to tell them when, when, when I'm struggling with something, because I want them to know, Hey, this guy's just, just, he's just a real dude like me. He has the same struggles that I do. I think that's really important for, for our players to know that coaches, coaches grind and struggle just like the players do. I love that. Um, I'm going to throw out three big buckets. I'm I'm always curious of this. Just to I, I love to get a sense of how people are wired and what what leanings people have. So the three big buckets I'll throw out, and I would love for you to rank these in order of what like the ones that you really really thrive on. Like I love this aspect. So you've got one big bucket is the recruiting aspect. Another big bucket would be this idea of like player development strategy, getting in the cages, prepping for a game. So that big bucket. And then the third big bucket would be more of the team building, culture building. Where do you naturally like rank those in descending order from like, dude, this, I, I literally could wake up every morning and do this all day, every day. I love this aspect to the one that maybe you, you still might like, like it. It just might not be on your top, you know, your top one. Sure. Well, I do believe strongly that um, recruiting is the most important aspect of being a college coach because you have some control over which players wind up in your program. You know, if I was a high school coach, obviously culture building and player development um, would 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 rank one A and one B because you don't you don't have control over who your guys are but you do have control over how you develop those guys and 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 the culture that you build for those guys to thrive in and I think those things are critical and I love talking culture and I love culture development and I love looking at creative ways to help players get better I like I like the idea the concept of working smart just as importantly as working hard but at our level if you get the right players and you get the right people, it makes player development and culture building so much easier. And so recruitment is always going to be the most important thing because if you have the right guy, I always, I told our coaches earlier this fall, you know, we had a terrific player who's now in professional baseball, Alex Mooney. And I said, look, if you get more Alex Mooney's to campus, the player development and the culture building, it'll take care of itself because, the, you know, the, those kind of guys can make you look really smart. Yeah, for sure. Uh, you guys obviously have recruited at at a high level, um, at, a, at a place that I don't think people would think blue blood baseball program. Right. Uh, although it's I mean, I think the visibility of Duke baseball has grown and growing. Maybe give me some ends. I'd be curious on when you think through recruiting and how you um, how you set up recruiting within your staff. Who does what? Yeah, could you maybe give us some insight into your your recruiting processes there at Duke? Sure. Uh, you know, I think the most important thing about recruiting is is like knowing what you're selling, like what's your product, and and so you know when I when I looked at this Duke job and people said. I mean, you're crazy to take that job. They've never been good in baseball. They don't win. They don't. It's not, I, I looked at it through a little bit different lens, and I, I just said, why can't we be good? It's the ACC, and it's one of the world's best universities. Like, surely there's going to be a lot of kids that like that combination. So, we, we, you know, Duke has a really good product to sell. So that's number one is knowing what you what what you have to sell. And here at Duke, it's an easy sell. Come get one of the world's best degrees and play baseball in the ACC. Then it's like, all right, 
we got to find the right customers. Like, who are the players that are going to be attracted to this combination? Uh, this type of environment is not for everybody. You you have to be just as energized and enthused about the degree here at Duke and the academic opportunity as you are about the baseball side of it. And so really knowing who we go after. And one of the things I tell our coaches, Travis, is like, you should know within two phone calls if this guy is a Duke guy or not. Like, um, like there, there are clues. Players leave clues when you talk to them about whether or not they're a fit. And so we ask when we ask guys about their academics, when we ask guys about their classes, uh, when we ask guys about their approach to 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 their work ethic, and to, like they 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 tell you what you need to know in their responses. And and I you know um, if a guy hasn't convinced you within two phone calls that he's he's a Duke guy, then we we need to move on to the next guy. Um, but in terms of processes, you know, we talk about it all the time. I, I'm a very process-oriented person. I like routines. I, I like processes. I believe they help you be more efficient. Mm-hmm. They help you get more done. And so, yeah, we, we have different, what I hope are clearly defined roles on our staff. Who, who's managing our recruiting database? Um, we talk, we have a staff meeting every morning and we talk recruiting in every staff meeting. And we talk about who's going to call who this week and, you know, who, whose job it is to check in with a particular travel ball coach or a t- particular high school coach. Or we have a, a, a coach who's in, uh, um, in charge of managing the transfer portal and, and mining that for potential candidates. So, yeah, I, we, we definitely have a process, but I would also say that process is we're continually looking at that process and looking at ways that we can be more efficient and, and do it better. Okay, you've taken over two programs. I'd be actually three. I'd be curious. Um, how did Pfeiffer and App State help you coming into Duke? What'd you learn from taking over those programs? Maybe, yeah, riff on that a minute. Yeah, I think so. The most important thing I learned through my experiences is that you have to be like your most authentic self. Like you can't try to change who you are because you're in a different space because people see through that and players see through that. And so you got to you, you, you've got to be real. And, and, and so it's interesting. I mean, like the day to day practice environment that we have um, in a lot of ways looks very similar to practices that we used to hold 25 years ago at Pfeiffer. I mean, we're still running some of the same drills that we ran then. Um, in, in other ways, like it looks amazingly different because you think about the, the technology and how we're able to integrate TrackMan and Blast and Synergy and, and all these different um, data producing uh, pieces of technology into our day in and day out practice setting. So it's a blend. It's it's truly a, like a blend of the old and new. But I, I really believe you have to be a lifelong learner and you have to be willing to, to like grow and adapt. So like my first year at Appalachian State in 2004, I thought I, I really thought you'd go in there and kind of do things just like we did them at Pfeiffer and, you know, it would work. And I realized after a year, man, there's there's a lot I, I need to 
learn. There's a lot of adjustments we need to make. And if we try to do it exactly like we did at Pfeiffer, it's just not going to work. Mm-hmm. And likewise, I, I had that same experience my first year here at uh, Duke. After coming from Appalachian, I thought, man, we, you know, I thought we sort of had it figured out at Appalachian. I got here in one year in, I was like, man, if we don't make some changes, if we don't adapt, if we don't grow, uh, then then this isn't going to work. And so I think being self-aware enough to recognize where you've got to grow and adapt and change is really important. Uh, was visiting with the coach this morning and we were talking about that exact topic. And he, he actually said to me, he said, if I didn't get around these three people, I, my guess is I would have been that coach that's in his fifties that is doing the same thing he did when he was in his twenties. So was there, was that modeled for you? Is that an internal wiring of just growth and new and how can we get better? Yeah. Where, where's that come from? Honestly, uh, I, I really believe that the time I've spent here at Duke has helped me in so many ways as a person, but one of the biggest ways it's helped me is you're you're surrounded by all of this excellence, and you you got certainly a lot of excellence in in the athletics department. People like Mike Shashevsky and you know uh, Dan Brooks, our women's golf coach, has won six national championships, and I could go on and on about all the great coaches and all the athletic success here that we were surrounded by. But then you look at the rest of the university, and you got one of the you know one of the best uh, academic opportunities on the planet. And then 500 yards from where we practice every day is one of the world's best hospitals. And so in every aspect of, of, of Duke, there's just excellence. And I, I, it, it really is humbling. And, and it's, I I think pushed me to recognize that, you know what, You, you better be a lifelong learner and you better constantly, constantly be looking at ways to do things better, to do things more efficiently, to learn from other people. Um, you know, one of the one of the best things, and you uh, maybe I'm skipping ahead and I apologize if I am, but we talked about advice that you would give to a 23-year-old coach. I spent the early part of my head coaching career sort of looking across at the other dugout and, and being worried that that other coach sort of knew something that I didn't. Like that guy's got some kind of secret formula that I haven't tapped into yet. And and so I would feel sort of inferior a lot like hey they they're they're better prepared than us. They they know something we don't. And then at some point along the way I just said, well, if that's the case, let me start looking at and trying to really analyze what other programs are doing. Let me make some notes and let's see if we can't start including some of that in what we do. And so I would literally, when we go on the road, and I still do it to this day, I just keep keep a legal pad with me in the dugout. And when I see something that an opposing team or opposing program does, and I say, man, that makes a lot of sense. Why didn't I think of that? I just jot it down. And then it's a way for us to bring it back. I'll talk about it with our staff and say, hey, do you think that's something that we should or could be doing in our own program. And that really, for me, kind of took the mystery out of like, what what's he got that I don't? It's more like, all right, let's just learn from these other guys that do it really well and see if we can't try to copy some of that. Dude, that's so good. I love that. 
Um, so we you, you touched on a little bit on on some culture stuff, but I'd love to maybe just get a a, a picture of like um, you you've I'm sure you've got your values, these things that are really important to you with your program. How do you how do you instill those? How do you drive those in? Say your team shows up on campus middle of August. Maybe what's the first four to six months look like where you're where you're driving culture deep into that current team? Yeah, honestly, we even started we we start trying to do it even before they get on campus. We start trying to talk about it with our committed guys in the year before they arrive so that they have some foundation in it. I think first off, like culture is one of the most overused like buzzwords in sports. Um and and very rarely do folks really clearly define it and hopefully what we've tried to do in our program is very clearly defined, these are the four principles that are really important to us in our culture, and we start talking about them early. So when our freshmen get on campus, that's one of the very first meetings that we have is like these four things, what what it what it means to be blue collar, what it means to be a part of Duke baseball, it's these four things. So first we've got to identify and define it for the player. And for us, it's it's process. It's having a process over outcome mentality. Mm. It's servant leadership. And the way we define that, Travis, we say you got to care about the people around you more than you do yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, number three, it's gratitude. We we want guys that are very intentional about practicing gratitude because we believe that's the way you can keep away entitlement and self-pity. And number four, we talk a lot about a growth mindset. We want guys to totally rewire their brain on how they feel about failure. You know, too often, uh, especially high achievers uh, come to think that like failure is bad and it should be avoided. And that's couldn't be further from the truth. It's actually the opposite. Like failure is something you have to embrace because failure is how we grow and get better. So don't don't shy away from failure. Just the opposite. You got to look for failure and you got to lean into failure. So we talk about those four things and identify them early and then. There's not a week that goes by that we're not incorporating them in our practices and, and, and into our meetings. And then the 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 next stage for us is like we have to give guys specific tools on how they can start to adapt and adopt um, these principles into their daily practice. Like, okay, how do I build a process? How do I how do how do I construct really good routines? So we got to train guys on that. Um, we've got to train guys on what it means and how they can practice being a servant leader. You know, we've got to get, we got to arm guys with, um, with, with specific tools on how they can practice gratitude, journaling and apps on your phone. And, and then, you know, we got to really highlight for guys like the struggle is good, you know? And so our very first team meeting of the year, I told our players, I'm like, look, if we get to the end of the fall and you haven't really struggled and you haven't had to deal with failure and, and, and looked that in the face, then we've done you a disservice as a coaching staff because you know, we could go through the fall and, and make this easy and comfortable and, and try to set you up for things that feel good, but that's not the real world and that's not how things are going to go in the spring. And so we gotta we, we want to do stuff that's hard. We want to do stuff that's uncomfortable so that when you get into that environment in the spring and you're struggling, you've been there before and you know how to fight your way to the other side of it. 